real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is the 18th of February, 2020, and I want to give a huge, huge happy birthday to my archivist, W.H. Tempest, who actually bikes the miles of his age. Um, I'm kind of jealous because there's no way I would be able to do that. And, uh, you know, uh, I wish him health, uh, love and happiness. And to all of you celebrating your birthdays today, I wish you the same. And, you know, good wishes go a very long way. Uh, I saw one of the most tragic Accidents. I mean, all of us did. The whole world did at NASCAR. And it was horrible. It was terrifying. And I'm almost certain from the images and I'm just talking physics now that he was decapitated. And when I say this, doesn't mean his whole head comes off, right? It means like the, the spinal, you know, the, the base of your skull where it sits, like I'm a hundred percent, but, and I was, um, mortified when I saw the commentators. I mean, Jeff was pretty much in tears, but you know what I also saw prayers, I mean, anywhere I looked on social media, people were praying. And the, and the first thing I did when I saw it was stop what I was doing. And I actually said a prayer out loud and it was just something simple, our father, but it was just for him. I don't know him. I'm not a NASCAR fan, but anyone in pain, I think maybe sometimes during the day, all of us should do that for those that are struggling because look at what prayer did. This guy survived one of the most brutal things you saw with your own eyes. It, it, it was like confetti, the car and his body in there, no matter how well strapped and what helmet you have from the trajectory to the motions to the repeat hit from the other car, you know, his body, you know, is not shock resistant. So I, I can say without a doubt, that I believe that prayer does so much. And this is why I say we should pray. And speaking of praying, from those of you, for those of you that are on the East Coast in New York, there's something weird going on. And this kind of lines up with um, a specific uh, timeline. But for some reason, there is an outreach to people in New York asking them the following questions. Do you have flashlights? Do you have water for two weeks, food for two weeks? Do you have batteries? Do you have candles? And do you know where your local shelter is? And do you know that you can call 311 and get this information? Now, these scripts that are being read and they're calling people in the tri-state area are a little bit concerning considering they're not your average phone call. I mean, we don't all just get phone calls. Hey, this is just like community outreach. And I'm just like, I'm going to ask a few questions. Like, can you get around by yourself? Do you know who your emergency person is? And then they ask you a bunch of these questions, you know, <laughs> makes you kind of cock your head. Okay. Um, that's not something average. You ask someone. 
Uh, so I thought I'd let you guys know that in the tri-state area, there has been an uptick in that kind of outreach. And that tomorrow hasn't isn't supposed to happen. So it was a weird glitch because that tomorrow would have been if other events happened before. Now, I also want to thank uh, the people that have gone on to subscribestar.com and, sub- and subscribed to my non-national airwave shows. Love the feedback. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I love it. And I love the topics because on there we can chat directly. You can send me messages and you can tell me what it is you want to hear about what it is that you know about or kind of know about and, you know, can, uh, and I can provide. I had um, a listener uh, subscribe yesterday and, you know, you can subscribe for just five bucks and said, Hey, what about this, this, this? And I responded saying, you know, "Mm, yeah, that's the majority of that is still classified. So that can't really be discussed, but we can bring it up when talking about other things that are not still classified or that have more portions declassified. How's that? So I just wanted to remind you guys, you can go to subscribestar.com, look me up and you'll find me there for those secret, not safe for national airwaves shows. Now, I thought we could start talking about uh, Mike Bloomberg. So I've been mentioning it. I've been tweeting about it and also Nathan Krioger. <laughs> I need to keep tweeting about it every day until he's taken out because I have no idea why they have him in the White House. And then Janice in Congress is a liaison who's basically the telephone. So we've got moles. Everybody knows we got moles. We're naming them. Names people aren't talking about. And, you know, the more we retweet that name, hey, why is this guy still in the White House? You know, it'll maybe drum up some. Now, let's move to Mike Bloomberg, who is a train wreck, uh, who is exactly the people you fear will one day have power to uh, rule countries and even the world. And they're the ones that believe that only smart people are allowed to survive, uh, that only people that have uh, been successful according to their standards should have access to things and um, believe that everyone else is just dumb. Uh, they here Here's something that he said about black and Latinos. I want you to listen to this. This cohort of black and Latino males age, let's say, 16 to 25, that don't have jobs, don't have any prospects, don't know how to find jobs, don't know uh, that they, what their skill sets are, don't know how to behave in the workplace where but they let, have to work let collaboratively. Me if I, let me, cohort. Don't know how to behave, 16 to 25. Guys, none of us know really how to behave in the workplace, 16 to 25. Let's be honest, no matter what color, culture you are, right? We're all kids. And I think we're kids up until the age of 25. I mean, that's, he's going to have to do some serious explaining when that, you know, comes up. And that's something people should bring up as he is now apparently going um, to the debate stage. And it's kind of like, 
what people don't see is I was looking up FEC information. I'm seeing that Amalgamated Bank is coming under scrutiny. I saw that a couple weeks ago. Saw that he put $200 million, which is a drop in the water for him, into his campaign. But it makes you wonder, is this guy really running or is he just covering the DNC deficit? Because now that they're being investigated, are they just giving phony loans and signing off money, which is your union money, right? Your union money. You, the union worker, they're giving it out. Is he the one just um, covering that? And um, from sources right now where I'm getting information, it seems that that is exactly it. I mean, he bought himself 19% so he can be part of that debate. And uh, that's very interesting. Now, I don't like Newt at all, but I'm going to play uh, a clip where he talks about Bloomberg's dramatic rise to the Democratic debate stage. And I want you guys to listen to it and we'll pause when he gives you a little bit of insight that's very interesting. 2020 hopeful Michael Bloomberg officially qualifies for tomorrow's Democrat debate. A new poll showing the former New York City mayor making the cut with 19 percent support. Bloomberg needed just 10 percent for the Nevada debate. Former mayor coming in second behind Bernie Sanders. Bernie's got a big lead of 31 percent. But Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar dropping in the polls despite great performances in Iowa and New Hampshire as well. Let's bring in, as you can see right there, Newt Gingrich, Fox News contributor, former Speaker of the House, former Republican presidential candidate. He won the South Carolina primary a number of years ago. Newt, good morning to you. Good morning. What do you make of the fact that Mr. Bloomberg is now qualifying for the debate in uh, Nevada, even though he's not on the ballot there, uh, as as uh, Pete, Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar, who both did very well in uh, New Hampshire and Iowa, they're not really in the top five on these polls. Look, I think what's happened is that Bloomberg Uh, who's a very smart man and who made a lot of money out of the media, um, figured out if he just poured enough cash in that uh, in places where nobody else was advertising yet, uh, that his advantage would be so massive that people who aren't thinking much about politics would say, oh, yeah, he sounds pretty good. So he has risen dramatically, and it's all fueled by money. Um, Now, the question will be... uh, as we get into the actual debates, uh, what happens to him? I, I, I'm actually working on a podcast that just uses Bloomberg's own words in his own. I mean, so you get him personally saying stuff that's weird. And, you know, he attacks farmers. He attacks ethnic groups. I mean, you go down this whole list of things that where you, you think probably not really clever. And I think the race for Bloomberg may end up being the TV advertising Bloomberg versus the shoot-your-mouth-off Bloomberg, and that might be a very interesting contest. What does this say about Iowa and New Hampshire? Does the caucus, do the primaries there really matter? Because you've got, as Steve was saying, Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar, they're behind Bloomberg, and Bloomberg skipped those states. Klobuchar is in fourth. I made a mistake. Well, I think think what it says, first of all, is that when you have somebody come in uh, very different than Trump, Trump spent a lot less money than, for example, Jeb Bush, who'd raised about $103 million. Uh, Bloomberg just came in with so much cash that it made any place irrelevant. 
No. Bloomberg not only is buying ads like crazy, and they're really sad ads because his real face is coming to the surface. Um, but what he did was he bought the DNC's approval and the DNC push to have him come up to the forefront because you have to buy delegates. You have to buy people within the DNC. And this is how you launder money and clean it up. Uh, and if he's willing to double down and triple down, he could easily spend over a billion dollars mm -hmm. just to get to the nomination. Now, whether or not it's possible, because, you know, advertising at some point ceases to lose its effectiveness. I mean, you see your 300th ad, you kind of get it. And as other people surface things he said, the question becomes authenticity. And the American people are pretty educated about when TV commercials are phony and when they're real. And that's part of what Bloomberg is going to have. But I think that from a standpoint of a Buttigieg or, or a Klobuchar or, for that matter, Elizabeth Warren, the challenge they've got is you got this billionaire over here who is just literally carpet bombing states. I mean, a place like Arkansas or Oklahoma. Uh, he's probably putting more money into those two states than the entire Buttigieg campaign so far. And we have no indications now because he's I think Bloomberg's worth 62 to 64 billion dollars. Look, he's just paying off dead and he wants to come up. And once he comes up high enough, he can probably pull a card like a Hillary. Right. And move it along. Now, Pete, Mayor Pete, is sketchy. Mayor Pete has been unmasked because he's a poser, of course. Amy loves Ukraine. And come on, Warren, who's taking her seriously? Just like that article from Babylon Bee. Uh, you know, two colonial guys dressed up as colonials were hunting her down, you know, like, uh, ju you know, justice for juicy, but this one is justice for fakeahontas, right? These people aren't even serious candidates. Like there are no serious candidates. Bloomberg is terrifying, terrifying to anyone. He believes that people are people that aren't uh, in a certain circle or a certain tax bracket are people of a lesser God. He considers uh, skilled workers idiots, manufacturers idiots, farmers idiots, and we need gray matter now. The fact that he used the word gray matter and not like academics or something should terrify you because it is highly specific. Now we'll get into that in another time, but this is a term that I've only heard four people use throughout time. And one of them is the queen of England. The other one's the Pope and then Bloomberg and then someone else, which we'll discuss at a later time. Maybe you can figure it out. And if you do DM me and let me know uh, if you figured out who the fourth one is. That is a terrifying statement. Gray matter, obviously, as you know, is the one that has the high density connections uh, within our brain to allow us to perform higher processes, uh, just so you know. Now, let's continue and see what else Newt has to say about Bloomberg. He could spend, say, 10%, $6 billion, uh, because he wants to be president and he hates Trump. And the combination is a big motivator. Mr. Speaker, I, I got to stay on this. I'm, I'm fascinated. This, this debate that's happening tomorrow night, uh, are we going to get TV scripted Bloomberg? Are we going to get unscripted Bloomberg? What, what do you see happening when he finally has to talk to people unscripted? Well, I, I think, look, he, he's, I just saw an article a while ago about the practice he's going through. I mean, nobody should underestimate this guy. 
Uh, he's very professional. Guys, can you hear the footsteps in the background? That's either coming from, that's coming from Newt's side. Just listen. He's very smart. He served as mayor of New York for 12 years, and people thought overall, I mean, he basically bought it the last time. He spent about $200 per vote, which is, I think, the all-time American record. Uh, but nonetheless, he served for 12 years. It was a relatively corruption-free, relatively effective uh, period in terms corruption free you mean we didn't see it kind of like how there were no scandals for barack hussein obama you mean they weren't reported uh, this is where you need to tune your little ears on to understand when swamp speaks swamp in terms of the city's prosperity so he can handle a pretty big job that's pretty controversial and pretty political and I, my impression is he's practicing right now for the debate tomorrow night the, the key for the other candidates is to recognize if they don't collectively go after him and if they don't bring up all these things that are beginning to surface mm -hmm. and make him answer for them, they're just going to get drowned. So he's giving advice to fake a Honda's Pete and them what they have to do, which is exactly what they're not going to do. And no one's going to attack him because he just threw money and he's buying everyone. He's buying everyone because he needs to buy it for the queen. Okay, you guys. And here's the deal. I, I, and here's the number the million dollar question. Will he have a box on the stage? Um, because he didn't have a box on other stage as we saw some videos in a play where he looked really awkward. Um, but he is giving them advice as to how they maintain. Because remember, the DNC in itself fixes everything. Bernie's race has been fixed. For some reason, he's not even being talked about by Fox, which is super bizarre. Uh, the only person right now who could play with him is Bernie Sanders, who has a big enough base. And Bernie's the only one actually uh, advertising in the uh, the Super Tuesday states. But I think Bernie's in so far for $10 million, And I think uh, this number may be wrong, but I think that uh, Bloomberg's in for about $230 million. Well, he put $200 million, to be exact, according to the FEC, of his own cash own cash. So I'm glad he brought up Bernie because that's the only one we need to speak. Because when everything comes down to it, it'll be like they're stealing the race from you again. And this is where the insane liberals are, you know, that base right there. And that is how you cause that division. So <clears throat> Pete bought his way and uh, used his clout. I mean, you had Barack Hussein Obama endorse Bloomberg, which means he's paying off their debt. He's a good little boy. And I stress the little, but this is going to be something, I mean, something of another type of tactic. I want you to listen to how Tucker breaks down the buying the election part. According to new numbers over the weekend, the Democratic primary race is constricting to become really a two-man contest. A lot of people still in the race, but the outline of the future is getting clearer. So on one side, you have a candidate, Bernie Sanders, who wants to turn this country into a comprehensive welfare state. He plans to upend every aspect of American life in order to impose a new economic order. Now, Sanders isn't hiding what he plans to do. He's running on what he plans to do. His main rival is Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York. 
Bloomberg has shot to above 15 percent nationally in the polls from nowhere, essentially. He's suddenly leading the race in the critical Super Tuesday state of Florida. So what is Mike Bloomberg running on? That's a trick question, actually. Bloomberg isn't running on anything, not because he doesn't have ideas. He's got plenty of ideas, and some of them are far outside the American mainstream. But Bloomberg doesn't think any of that matters. He's not running on ideas. He's not trying to convince voters of anything. He's not making arguments or working to change their minds on policies they care about. He's trying to buy them, and hence the presidency. It's the single most cynical political campaign ever run in this country. Bloomberg is trying to subvert our democracy with cash, and he's going all in to do it. According to the latest numbers, Bloomberg has spent more than $417 million on advertising so far in this race. His nearest rival, Bernie Sanders, has spent $40 million. That's less than a tenth. Joe Biden, the man they told us was the frontrunner, has spent just $12.3 million. Compare that, let's say it again, to the at least $417 million Bloomberg has pumped in the race, just on advertising. And that's just the beginning. Aides say Bloomberg is willing to spend $2 billion of his own money by Election Day, and the number could go higher. Nothing like this has ever happened in America. Bloomberg's spending is like, and pick your metaphor here, a tsunami breaking over our political system. When the waters recede, there's nothing left. It's been flattened and wiped clean by the weight of Mike Bloomberg's wealth. Bloomberg is the tallest figure on the landscape, the only one left upright. That's his plan. He's all but admitted that's his plan. Watch him here disavow stop and frisk, the single most successful policy he had as mayor of New York. I defended it looking back for too long because I didn't understand then the unintended pain it was causing to young black and brown families and their kids. I heard their pain, their confusion, and their anger. And I've learned from them, and I've grown from them. So think about what you just saw. It's not the normal pandering. Mike Bloomberg believes passionately in gun control. It's his life's mission. It's his signature issue. Stop and frisk may have been the most effective gun control policy ever administered anywhere. It took thousands of illegal firearms off the streets of New York. But Democratic primary voters have decided they don't like it. They're against stop and frisk. So without even pausing, Bloomberg grovels, as you just saw, and attacks his own legacy. Why do he do that? Because he doesn't care. Whatever. They're only words. He'll do whatever it takes. Now, they say politicians are ethically flexible, and of course they are. But this is different. There's something ominous about it. Bloomberg can seamlessly change his core beliefs because he doesn't think his beliefs are relevant to the outcome of this race. Only his wealth matters. And the horrifying fact is he may be right. How wealthy is Michael Bloomberg? Well, for context, the richest of the fabled Russian oligarchs, Leonid Mikkelsen, is worth about $24 billion. Michael Bloomberg could literally give away twice that amount or spend it on a presidential race if he wanted and still be five times as rich as Donald Trump is. It's hard to imagine just how much money that is. But with that money, Bloomberg can suffocate all opposition and seize power. A ruling class, which worships money above all, sees nothing wrong with this. They're eager to help Bloomberg do it. Like Bloomberg, they're religiously libertarian on economic matters. That's a position that's shared by only a tiny percentage of the population. No normal person in this country thinks the widening wealth gap is a good thing. It's so obviously making America unstable. But Mike Bloomberg has been one of its chief beneficiaries. He will defend the current system above all else. There's a reason he's the favorite of finance moguls and tech commissars. Again, this is a total departure from anything we have seen before in the history of this country. 
Say what you will about Donald Trump, but in 2016, he ran for president on ideas that large numbers of voters actually liked, whether or not they liked him. Secure the border, end counterproductive wars, fight the fascism of political correctness. In selling those ideas, he spent about half what Hillary Clinton spent. But Bloomberg can't be bothered with selling ideas or with a platform. He doesn't care what the public thinks. That's why. He believes he can win by overwhelming voters with his money. This is the nightmare scenario that campaign finance reform activists used to tell us about. And they were right about one thing. Our system has been vulnerable to people like Michael Bloomberg for a long time. He's just the first one who's actually tried to do it. And he's successfully doing it, right? He is successfully doing it. He is buying his way into the elections. That's that's interesting, right? That he is buying his way into the elections and no one seems to care. Now, as far as Bernie is concerned, uh, you know, he knows that they're taking the election away from him because they don't want the Democratic Party to be remembered as the party of socialism, even though it is, uh, because they're a little bit more discreet. They're giving it to you in installments. So by forcing it to just be flat out, yep, socialism done, we're over, I'm a communist, you know, that is causing them concern. But we are going to go for a short break. And right after that, we'll hear what Bernie had to say on CNN about it. Welcome back, everyone. Um, After that short break, I wanted to say we're going to continue here talking a little bit about Bloomberg. I want to hear what Bernie Sanders had to say on CNN with, you know, none other than elitist Anderson Cooper, uh, because it's really, really important. Uh, This was actually um, aired uh, about, I would say, like six days ago. Uh, But listening to it now after that uh, makes all the sense. I just wanted to say, wow, Joe Biden is really a loser and he's really not with it in Nevada. He was like, here in California. It's like you're in Nevada. This guy keeps forgetting where he's at. Anyway, I want you guys to listen to what he has to say and just take it in because it's really good to listen to them because they will tell you exactly what they are doing and what they are thinking about and how they are doing it. And the tell-alls are also coming from Anderson Cooper uh, because him having Bernie Sanders on is not because he's giving him a platform. It's in order to show him being show that he's trying to be impartial. And this is key because this impeachment stuff is coming back up with Bolton. We're going to talk about that. And there is a lot more going on. We're going to touch a little bit on global politics because this Russia-Turkey situation is really getting out of hand now. Um, And... This is where CNN and, uh, you know, NBC and all of those fake news outlets 
are going to try to kind of ramp it up. We're seeing uh, the insane people that are part of the impeachment, like Alexandra Chalupa, who shouldn't really be talking, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, um, getting vocal. Everyone's getting vocal because they're under attack. This is how it is. It's like a drowning man. You don't go in and, you know, from the front to a drowning man because all they'll do is claw because they're dying. And this is exactly what we're seeing. And this interview tells it to you like it is. Just listen carefully. Hold on. Let's put him on. I have this audio clip here and I cut out the part I want. There we go. You're joined now by Senator Sanders. Senator Sanders, congratulations on the victory last night. How do you feel? I feel great. A win is certainly a win. Pete Buttigieg, uh, John King was saying, finished closer than expected. He said last night, quote, vulnerable Americans do not have the luxury of pursuing ideological purity over an inclusive victory. Assuming that's a, a, a swipe at you or a nod to you. What do you say to that? Well, what I say is that we are putting together an unprecedented grassroots movement. It's made up of working people. It's made up of lower income people. It's made up of young people. It's made up of people who feel disenfranchised from a corrupt political system, which is dominated by big money interest. Anderson, in my view, the American people want a government, finally, that represents all of us, not just wealthy campaign contributors and the billionaire class. And that is why we're going to win in South Carolina, in Nevada, and we're going to beat Donald Trump. Some of the analysts last night, you know, said, look, if you take all the people who voted for Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and certainly a lesser extent, Vice President Biden last night, it's more than 52 percent of the vote, a big chunk of people going toward a more moderate side of the party. Can you win the nomination without voters who likely have already considered your plans for Medicare for all or free college tuition and determined they don't want that? Well, actually, I think if you look at the exit polls yesterday in the Hampshire, if my memory is correct, uh, Medicare for all was extremely popular uh, and was one of the reasons that we won. Uh, I, I think, Anderson, that the more we have an opportunity, and if we're in the general election, we certainly will, to talk about a dysfunctional health care system in which we spend twice as much per capita as the people of any other country, and yet 87 million of us are uninsured or underinsured, 30,000 die each year because they don't get to a doctor. 500,000 people go bankrupt because of medically related bills. And we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. You know what? I think people will be very supportive of Medicare for all and help us win the election. Um, Pete Buttigieg has actually been focusing on uh, on Medicare for, for all. And one of the things he said to CNN this morning was about union uh, union health care plans. And I just want to play that uh, for our viewers. It's from CNN this morning. When you're in Nevada, you talk to a lot of folks, including uh, workers in organizations like the Culinary Workers Union uh, and other labor organizations that have fought hard for good health care plans. Unions, unions. And Senator Sanders' message that he's going to uh, erase those plans and replace them with uh, a single government plan for everybody is going to be, I think, a, a very tough sell uh, among voters who want to have that choice. That's a 60,000-member uh, union. He says they're handing out flyers saying that you want to end health care for their workers and, and their families. No, it's, it's not exactly what that flyer is about. But the truth is I have far more union support, to the best of my knowledge, than Mr. Buttigieg does. 
Uh, and in fact, many of the unions are strongly supporting of a Medicare for all single payer system. And I'll tell you why. Because when unions sit down and negotiate with their employers, very often what the employer will say, well, you know, I can give you a 2% wage increase, but I'm going to have to cut back on your health care benefits. Talk to any union official, and they will tell you they spend half their lives just trying to protect the health care benefits that they have. We are the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all people. And in those countries, unions don't have to defend the health care benefits they have. They already have health care. They can talk about better wages and better working conditions. So I think what you will find is that many of the unions are supportive of Medicare for all because it is comprehensive health care. You lose your job. You got it. You're old. You got it. You're young. You got it. You're unemployed. You got it. It is where this country, in my view, has got to go. Of course, it has to go. And remember, with Medicare for All, they can decide what kind of treatment you can have, too. What's beneficial for the country? I mean, come on, man. You're 60 and you've got, you know, breast cancer and, you know, uh, you can get a mastectomy, but we're not paying for a new boob. And, uh, you know, you should do chemotherapy, but that's really expensive. So, you know, if you get it a second time... (laughs) You know, you're SOL. We're not going to pay for it anymore. Wait a minute. Did you just give birth to a child that has, you know, you know, muscular dystrophy? Yeah, that's like way too much for us. That's going to be really expensive. Uh, Let's put you in touch with these people. Let's just make the person comfortable. Um, We're not going to try any experimental remedies unless it benefits us, the rich, and you're willing to become a guinea pig for us. We're good on that. You know, this is how they move forward. This, these are the ideas that they are pushing because people are too dumb to think for themselves. Common sense tells you what, that when there's a budget, there's going to be stipulations and guidelines. Do you guys forget that child in the UK, Alfie? Come on. That just happened. But, you know, we're America. We're not going to do that. Really? When you have people, the elitists that are going to say, well, your, your life isn't as worth as the guy in the cubicle, man. You just mine for a living. Oh, wait. Uh, so you, you're eating unhealthy foods and you're overweight and you got diabetes. Too bad. You're just going to die because you did it to yourself. Oh, I don't care if you're depressed. You know, uh, we can talk about it and you can talk to your friends, but I'm not going to pay for the medication. If you're that weak of, the, of a person, you should just go. Forget the imbalances of brain chemistry. We don't care. You're just going to go. These are the things that are going to happen. Like I warned about it a couple years ago, telling you about death panels and how that's going to happen. Sarah Palin did too, and she was ridiculed for it. This is how they do it. When you relinquish full control of your health, and that's the only thing that money can't buy. That's the only thing, once it's lost, you can't redeem it. Okay? It's done. Your health keeps you, keeps you alive, keeps you ticking. I mean, how many of you have been sick? And I have too. And the doctor gives you medication and you're just like, oh, if I take it, I don't think the same. I don't function the same. I'd rather put up with the pain or the increased anxiety or, you know, the, the emotional roller coaster rather than feel not me, right? How many of you do that? Tons of you. And you know that once that 
portion breaks, you either embrace the broken part and say, yo, that's a nice chip in my china, or you try to keep remedying it, right? Correct? But it never goes back. So people who are sick, yeah, it costs more money. Medications cost money. And they've experimented this Medicare with the elderly. How's that worked out for it? Not good, huh? Not good for the elderly, for the states it is. Because what they've started doing is, you know, for the past 20 years, signing them up for Medicaid. And then when they die, they, it's called state recovery. They take your house. Everything you work so hard to pay off, the government takes because you were sick and they paid for it. This is reality. And when you have people that are telling you, we're going to have a better society. I mean, you know, the really sick people, we don't need them. They just make us weaker. Uh, We can't send them to the factories and produce things for us, you know, with the extra gray matter. This is terrifying that these ideas are even pushed because they're masquerading what can come after. It's like, well, then what's next? Well, then what's next? It's like you eat the Twinkie and you're like, yeah, so good. But what comes next? (laughs) Yep. Straight to the hips, right? So the what comes next is never talked about. You know, the criticism, obviously, of Iowa, New Hampshire, largely white rural populations, not represented in most of the country. Next context, obviously, is Nevada, Carolina, much more diverse states. Uh, There was a national Quinnipiac poll this week. It showed Mike Bloomberg leading you among African-American voters, 22 to 19 percent. A lot of people haven't actually seen Mike Bloomberg in the flesh. They've just seen his TV commercials. But turn you. Look, I think at the end of the day, when people, A, learn about Mr. Bloomberg's record of stop and frisk in New York City, uh, I think that will change some minds. But second of all, I think when people understand that in our democratic society, we have a, an individual worth some $60 billion, who in an unprecedented way, Anderson, is literally trying to buy the elections. He didn't compete in Iowa, where all the Democratic candidates did, nor in New Hampshire, nor in Nevada, nor in South Carolina. He didn't hold town meetings. He didn't talk to people, answer questions. All he did is take a small part of his $60 billion, put it into TV commercials, and I guess that can get you votes. But at the end of the day, it is my firm belief that our kind of grassroots coalition— It's a multi-generational, multi-racial coalition with millions of people knocking on doors, volunteering, making small campaign contributions. We're going to defeat a billionaire. James Carville, who's obviously a longtime Clinton loyalist, was supporting uh, Senator Michael Bennett, who obviously dropped out of the primary race last night. He said this week that core Democratic voters aren't interested in being in what he called said a cult. He said they're not interested in socialism and revolution and other things he called foolishness. And that, quote, I don't know how you win an election 78 years old screaming in a microphone about the revolution. I don't know if he was actually screaming at the time, although it's very possible knowing James. Um, But so I want to I want to give you a chance to respond. Look, uh, James, in all due respect, is a political hack uh, who said very terrible things when he was working for Clinton uh, against Barack Obama. I think he said some of the same things. Look, we are taking on the establishment. This is no secret to anybody. We're taking on the wall. I guess uh, the former head of Goldman Sachs uh, attacked me uh, yesterday. Yeah, he had We're some taking on things wall as well. Street. He did. Yeah, Wall Street. And the insurance companies don't like me. And you know what? The pharmaceutical industry, which is charging us 10 times more for the same drugs they sell in Canada, they don't like me either. Nor does the fossil fuel industry because their product happens to be destroying our planet. Nor does the military-industrial complex or the prison-industrial
wait a minute. Miss, the military industrial complex is funded by, uh, you know, you know, by these green new deals, right? Uh, this is just the alternative way. Rather than doing wars, we're just going to charge people because, you know, oxygen or because, you know, it's too hot or whatever the excuse they give us. So where are they going with this? These communists? What's next? I mean, what's socialism? What's communism? Communism is just, you know, what happens after socialism? You know, what happens in the in-between? That's the concern. So, uh, as you hear him talk, he's like, all these people hate me. He's pandering and he's kind of true, kind of false. Military industrial complex has changed its name to green new deals and, uh, save the planet and Greta Thunberg's industrial complex. We are on Trump, the Republican establishment, Carvel and the democratic establishment. But at the end of the day, the grassroots movement that we are putting together of young people, of working people, of people of color, want real change. But you know, and they want us to take. Right. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You no, know, you know, though, no. it's not all, you know, just establishment folks who have a vested interest. I mean, there are, you know, American citizens who, you know, went out to vote in New Hampshire and voted for Klobuchar or voted for Buttigieg or right. in some cases Biden, who just feel right. like revolution is it's it's just right, too much they and they maybe like their plans they don't want their insurance taken away for something else in okay. government hands they don't have you know any idea about well first of all i i think if you look at the issues that we are talking about raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour enormously popular demanding that the wealthy and the powerful and large corporations start paying their fair share of taxes enormously powerful and popular, making public colleges and universities tuition-free. As I said earlier, Medicare for all was one of the reasons we won in New Hampshire. It is very popular in New Hampshire, and I suspect among Democrats all over this country. Criminal justice reform, immigration reform. Yeah, uh, criminal justice reform is something the president has done. Immigration reform is something we're doing with this darn wall and, you know, analyzing who's coming. Now, I wanted to just say something on immigration quickly. Do you know how many people work within immigration that take advantage of migrants that push migrants into situations? Tons. And that should be coming to surface soon because we have immigration officers or people within immigration that target specific migrants that are, you know, doing these fake marriages, right? And they rape them or they pimp them out in order for them to stay. Now, I'm saying this because something flew up on my radar on this. And we are going to see some serious prosecutions. Because unfortunately, a lot of people that work within the immigration industry are one of the biggest pimps. They love to see women and children. They love that. And I just wanted to throw that in there. So, um, you know. You remember it when it when it comes to now, as we know, they're all campaigning. We got the Super Tuesdays going, but I wanted to talk about what President Trump is doing on his campaign trail. Like, you know, we got the Daytona. He had a Daytona 500 as a rally. Like, how awesome is that? He's heading out west and he's visiting, you know, the west of the U.S. This guy has been nonstop campaigning since he's been elected. It, 
And that's more so to dispel the nobody likes President Trump. We all hate him. And that's the only reason he would do it. But also to reach out to the people to show them that he's working for you. He's working for your vote. He's pushing for it. Take a listen. Visiting with excitement in the conservative party areas of California. We're seeing this amid rising tensions between state and federal officials. The four day trip also taking the president to Arizona, Nevada and Colorado, stealing some thunder from upcoming Democratic primaries. Blake Berman from the Fox Business Network kicking off our 10 o'clock hour on the East Coast this morning live at the White House. Hey, Blake. Good morning. Hi there, Sandra. Ed, good morning to you both. We'll see President Trump leave the White House here a couple hours from now as he is set to head out west to visit four states there over the next four days, starting off with California today. There, the president will host a couple different fundraisers, one in Beverly Hills, another one out in Rancho Mirage, uh, hosted by the multi-billionaire many, many, many times over, the CEO of Oracle, Larry Ellison. Later today, though, the president will be attending a meeting as it relates to the planning of the 2028 Olympics that are set to be coming back to the U.S. to Los Angeles. The Olympics coming back to the U.S., something that the president likes to take credit for. I am, and I was responsible for getting the Olympics. The Olympics is coming to Los Angeles, and I was called by the mayor, and he said, could you do us a favor when I was president-elect? And he said, could you do us? And I worked very hard, and we got the Olympics, and uh, we have the World Cup coming into the United States. And now, President Trump's California trip also puts him in the center of a state he often takes issue with, whether it be the homelessness crisis, sanctuary cities, or fuel standards. But he will also highlight the water access problems of concerns to the ag community when he heads to Bakersfield tomorrow. After that, the president will also have rallies in Arizona and Colorado. His trip, though, ends in Nevada, where he will likely tout criminal justice reform at a graduation ceremony there for prisoners. Final event, Friday night, is the the president will try to take some of the focus off of Democrats as he will hold a campaign rally on the eve of the Democratic caucuses. This morning, the president weighing in with his thoughts on the state of the Democratic race as Michael Bloomberg surges in the polls and qualifies for his first debate. The president tweeting a little while ago, quote, the crooked DNC is working overtime to take the Democrat nomination away from Bernie again. Watch what happens to the superdelegates in round two, a rigged convention. So that the uh, prediction from the president this morning. He'll leave uh, the White House here a couple hours from now. Ed, Sandra, All right. see you. Blake yeah, Burns, it's you. a super rigged election, you guys. Like, how rigged is that? Super rigged. And not only is it rigged, but it's going against everything that one would believe. Now, um, before we head into our next hour, where we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the deception of the DNC, the impeachment bar, Turkey, Russia. I wanted to hear Grisham, where she talks about how President Trump threatened to sue over the Mueller probe and, you know, about evacuated Americans that are hospitalized with the coronavirus. So take a listen to what she says as the voice of the White House. Stephanie Grisham, White House Press Secretary, Communications Director for the President. She joins us live from our D.C. Bureau. Stephanie, good morning good to you. Morning. Good morning. morning. So I would imagine the President is getting updates on the situation all the time. 
Absolutely. He's getting daily briefings. This is a top priority for him, which is what made him take the unprecedented steps he did a few weeks ago to restrict travel. Uh, we're, we're, our task force is meeting twice every day um, and, and, again, briefing the president. So we're keeping track of everything. Uh, the safety of Americans is a number one priority for the president and the administration. All right. There's a story out there uh, this morning we saw that apparently somebody who works at the National Security Council, uh, a, a staffer by the name of Victoria Coates, may be reassigned to a position in the Department of Energy because there have been these uh, rumors out that she may have been the person who wrote the op-ed uh, as anonymous or was involved in that book. Uh, the Apparently, the publishing company, Javelin, says uh, she's not the one. Can you... what what, what can you tell us about her being moved out of the NSC? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if that's something that's going to happen, if that's something that she wants to happen. Uh, you know, whoever wrote the anonymous book is a coward, and whoever wrote the anonymous book and the op-ed, uh, they do need to be found. And the fact that they're working in government against the president and essentially against the American people is not good. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen in terms of that particular employee. We don't usually talk about personnel, and that would be an NSC issue. Gotcha. All right. All right, what was your reaction with um, that letter that 2,000 people signed it because they want Bill Barr within the DOJ or former DOJ employees that want Bill Barr to step down? Um, it Sadly, it didn't uh, surprise me, to be honest with you. Look, all across government, the president has been saying, and I think it's been proven time and again, there are obstructionists all across this government uh, who are working against the president. So it didn't surprise me. A lot of those were careers. Um, there are many people who, you know, they hate hailed A.G. Barr when we when we first appointed him, and he's been doing a great job. The president has made clear his position on many different cases, but he leaves A.G. Barr to do his work. Uh, he's made it clear that the two things are separate, but the president will always, always tell the American people what his opinion is. He's not going to step down? No. Oh, A.G. Barr? Yes, ma'am. Uh, that is not something I'm aware of. Absolutely not. Well, the president, you're right, has been has, has no uh, hesitation in putting his views out there, including this morning. And he's tweeting about, we believe, referring to Roger Stone in that entire case. But the, the tweet speaks for itself. and We want to get you to react to it. He just tweeted this. He said, though, these were Mueller prosecutors and the whole Mueller investigation was illegally set up based on a phony and now fully discredited fake dossier, lying and forging documents to the FISA court and many other things. Everything having to do with this fraudulent investigation is badly tainted and, in my opinion, should be thrown out. May, but maybe I... There's, there's some missing in the middle of that, Steve. There's, right. there's a, the third said, tweet talks about lawsuits. Uh, he said, uh, if I wasn't president, I'd be suing everyone all is. over the place, but maybe I still will with... Yes, and he should. Uh, you know, he should. He totally should. He should sue them all. And Giuliani should sue them all on his behalf. Because this was not justice. This was a waste of federal taxpayer dollars. This was simply to cause mental anguish to the president of the United States and his family. Barack Hussein Obama was investigating him as a private citizen, investigating him as a candidate, investigating him as president-elect, and then investigating him again as president of the United States. And you have to wonder, how was he able to pull it off? How was he able 
to investigate a sitting president. And this is, again, we're going to revisit this. And just superficially, this all comes down to executive orders. I've been all over executive orders forever and a day because they are clear-cut instructions. I'll see you all after this break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So this is the second hour where we're going to break down CrowdStrike. We're going to break down uh, Seth Rich. And we're going to break down this, what the what NBC or the DNC uh, mouthpiece has to say. And um, before we get into that, I just want to let you guys know, I am, you know that I've been working on the DNC and their finances. Remember how I was talking about Amalgamated Bank, right, last year, uh, early last year, and how I was telling you that they are the bank of the DNC. Well, it seems that my theory is very plausible that Bloomberg is not running for president, but he's merely covering the debt that the DNC, Hillary Clinton, and other activities they have with Amalgamated Bank because they are actively under some form of investigation according to my sources. So I wanted to tell you that because it totally makes sense. Like Bloomberg doesn't have a leg to stand on. This guy's, you know, pushing elder side. <laughs> um, and I don't know if any of you heard this, but, you know, he actually said it out loud. Now, I know he uses the example of 95 years old and nobody that's 95 is going to want to go through treatment. They'll be like, I'm ready to die. I'm good. Um but I talked about this when Oregon actually passed a law to starve mentally ill patients to death. Infanticide, nothing. Compared to death panels, like Sarah Palin had said, uh, you know, they are going to be deciding who lives and who dies. And even though they're saying, oh, it's dependent on the disease. Remember that little kid in the United Kingdom that the National Health Service did not want to pay for treatments? So our president says they're sick, let them try, whereas the Democrats are telling you they're sick, let them die. I mean, Bloomberg wants to control what peer, poor, poor people can eat, drink, and do because he knows best for them. So if you think that your disease is going to, uh, let's see, depict uh, your lifespan, you're wrong. It's your class because it'll then come down to, well, this kid has cancer and the likelihood of cancer coming back is tenfold and that's going to strain the government's resources. So let the kid die. This child was born with their intestines on the outside. Uh, you know, why help the infant? Let it die because it's going to have complications later that's going to cost us money. Then you're going to have two 25-year-olds that are going to need some heart. You know it's going to go to the rich one. And th they're going to decide who lives and who dies. I mean, you know, 
That's reality. This is what happens when people have power. Listen to him say it. Things they can't fix right away. You know, if you're bleeding, bleeding. If you need an x-ray, you're going to have to wait. That's just... And all of these costs keep going up. Nobody wants to pay any more money. And at the rate we're going, health care is going to bankrupt us. So not only do we have a problem, it's going to bankrupt us. And we've got to sit here and say which things we're going to do and which things we're not. Nobody wants to do that. You know, if you show up with prostate cancer and you're 95 years old, we should say, go and enjoy, have a nice day, lead a long life. There's no cure, and you can't do anything. If you're a young person, we should do something about it. Society's not willing to do that yet. You mean society's not ready to dismiss the value of life, right? Not dismiss the value of life, also not dismiss how important it is and how you're not dumb to be a farmer. And we could teach processes. I could teach anybody, even people in this room, so no offense intended, to, to be a farmer. You, it's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top, add water, up comes the corn. Then we had 300, you could learn that. Then, then um, you have 300 years of the industrial society. Uh, you put the piece of metal on the lathe, you turn the crank and the direction of the arrow. And So all of you are just peasants that should be working for them. He's telling you what they believe. And they can't shut him up because he's got money to throw at it and they need his money. God knows they need his money. So when you're looking at the Democrats and stay put for this one, you're going to see just how fast the DNC is going to implode because investigations are ongoing. And like I said, 17 states, 17 different prosecutors. You think it would just sit on one or two? It's nationwide. And these sealed indictments are itching to pop. Now, before we analyze our 60 Minutes clip, I want you to listen to NBC. NBC, four months ago, already laying it down for you. Take a listen to what they have to say about CrowdStrike. There's a lot baked into that July 25th phone call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky that's now at the center of a whistleblower complaint and, of course, an impeachment inquiry. But if you look at the call summary released by the White House, there's one point that's especially peculiar and kind of seems out of left field. It's when the president mentions something called crowd strike. He says, I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say crowd strike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, the server, they say Ukraine has it. Okay, so what is he talking about? From this, it's not exactly clear what the president wants Ukraine to do, but it does start to make some sense after a little bit more context. CrowdStrike is a cybersecurity company that does digital forensics, and they've actually been in the news before. Welcome to day one of the Democratic National Convention. There was chaos on the floor below us this afternoon. Thousands of hacked emails leaked to WikiLeaks rocked the Democratic National Committee. Yeah, so the DNC asked CrowdStrike to investigate, and the company ultimately found that Russian groups hacked the network and stole emails, which they then published 
to WikiLeaks. And U.S. intelligence officials confirmed that. And those findings actually became part of Robert Mueller's indictment of a dozen Russian intelligence officials. But of course, the world of conspiracy theories tells a different tale. Basically, since 2016, right-wing blogs, news websites, and none other than Roger Stone have tried to spread the idea that Democrats and CrowdStrike framed Russia in order to discredit Trump's victory. They claim that evidence of this has been hidden on a DNC server somewhere in Ukraine, possibly by CrowdStrike founder Dmitry Alpertovich, whom they often refer to as a Ukrainian billionaire. Remember Trump mentions a wealthy Ukrainian in that phone call? Here's the thing though, Dmitry was actually born in Moscow, not Ukraine, and he's an American citizen. His company is based in Sunnyvale, California. And when it comes to the server, first of all, there isn't one single server that holds the key to all of this. The DNC said they decommissioned 140 servers and rebuilt 11 in the wake of the hack. One of them is actually on display at the DNC office. Here it is in a New York Times photo right next to a filing cabinet that was broken into during the Watergate scandal. CrowdStrike and U.S. intelligence officials both examined all that tech and shared the same findings, that Russians hacked the DNC. Hey, how many of you are vomiting right now? Wait, let her finish, and then we'll talk about this. And even Trump's own former Homeland Security advisor has said there's no basis to this theory. It is not only a conspiracy theory, it is completely debunked. But the president has been fixated on this for years now. Where is the server? I want to know where is the server and what is the server saying? So, to summarize, CrowdStrike is a cybersecurity company that helped uncover Russian meddling when investigating the DNC hack during the 2016 election. So, first of all, the DNC was in hack. CrowdStrike did not have a contract with the federal government. And CrowdStrike does have a headquarters in Ukraine. The guy is Ukrainian and American. And the FBI has their own person on the state side. And we're going to talk about that name because not a lot of people talk about this guy. Not only that, not only that, they will tell you the truth amongst their lies. And this will go back to an article I had written with Big League Politics over two and a half years ago about something called Hurricane Electric. They're not very creative when they're making up project names, are they? And we'll talk about that. A far-right conspiracy theory alleges that the company framed Russia in order to discredit Trump's presidency. And the uh, yeah, because they did. And so it's a far right conspiracy theory, just like the one about Avenatti, who, by the way, is in jail now, uh, just like Epstein was a far right conspiracy theory, just like you being fake news is a conspiracy theory. But, you know, she said a lot of truths that you didn't No, Well, I'm not going to say you didn't pick up on because I know that a lot of my listeners are pretty clued up. But there are a few things in there. Cross, fire, hurricane, hurricane electric is the key. Theory hinges on the belief that this information is sitting on a missing DNC server that made its way to Ukraine. Actually, yes, it did. So and this is what we're going to talk about while we're listening to the charade on 60 Minutes Again, for some reason, they love putting CrowdStrike. And that is what Trump seems to reference when he asks the Ukrainian president for a favor on that now infamous July 
phone call. And that wasn't on the July phone call, but okay. Now, here's where we're going to delve into 60 Minutes. So those of you that missed it, you're going to hear it now. It is going to make your skin crawl. It is going to make you vomit in your mouth just like she did. But here's where we're going to break it down with facts. So that way you get it step by step because you know what? These idiots are so dumb. They walk you through it. But before I do that, let me tell you what Hurricane Electric is. Do you remember back in the day when all of us had those um, uh, torrent files? You remember how, oh, I don't want to pay for that new album. So I'll just open up my torrent file client server and seed files. And you know how that worked, right? So it's like I wanted, you know, um, Phil Collins album and I didn't want to pay for it. So I would search for it and find it. And then if you and, and then you click download. But when you expanded it, what would you see? You would see a bunch of different downloads. One would be a kilobyte here. Another one would be three megabytes there. And it was like you were getting parts of the song, right, from different areas. It was coming from Japan, from Germany, just little bits all coming together to give you that one album, right? And the more people had that file, the faster you would download, right? So if I was looking for, I don't know, like Britney Spears, you know, album, which is a true story, uh, you know, that one was everywhere, uh, you know, on my torrent client. So basically what would I do? I would have that. I would have the whole album downloaded in just a few minutes, even though it was dial up 56 K because there were so many people around the world logged on at the same time with bits and bits and bits of that album. So my computer would automatically have like 25 different sources or 25,000 different sources pulling the little bits. Hurricane Electric is just that, but for the government and big companies. It is global. It is one of the biggest torrent server files. So you have your hardcore server that's sitting there with all the data, but then you also have it blasted into millions of bits around the world. Germany, Canada, America, Japan, China, Russia, Korea, North Korea, South Korea, Bhutan, you know, North Africa, South Africa, the African horn, you name it. It's there. One little piece of file that on its own makes absolutely no sense because that little kilobyte could have a fragment of a document, a fragment of an audio file, a fragment of a picture, a fragment of an email that without its counterpart makes absolutely no sense. So how do you track down a server that's blasted into millions? You find a map. And by map means a roadmap to where all of those are. Like a client, uh, like, you know, the clients like mTorrent that we used to use. Shazam was one of them before it changed Napster, right? All of those. So you need a client that can pull the roadmap. Crossfire Hurricane, Hurricane Electric, not very creative on destroying those emails now, are we? So here's the thing. While this was going on, there were a lot of people that were tuned to what was on there. And it wasn't the emails. The emails were just giving something to the people. Distractions. It's all an illusion. Distraction. It's all an illusion. Because the full truth was just way too much. Now, the Ukrainians, the Ukrainian server, well, here's the thing. You're going to hear 
how CrowdStrike now says that they provided copies of the server, which the FBI denies ever having, of the DNC. Copies, right? Images. Selective. But here's the thing. For them to be able to create and manufacture Cozy Bear, for them to be able to manufacture and create code, they had to extract the whole server. And they did this using a client. You're not just going to sit there and seed off an image. A server. That takes days remotely. Now, with uh, uh, the ability of having a, a massive SD drive where you can take a copied image of the whole server, that can take hours or multiple sessions, depending if you can pick up and if you have the software, right? So here's where it comes into it. So now we've caught them lying. I want you to listen to the introduction that if I was Giuliani, I would be all over this smacking them with lawsuits just from the opening statement. Take a listen. His lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is pursuing allegations of corruption in Ukraine. This past week, Attorney General William Barr said the Justice Department would carefully scrutinize what Giuliani finds. Last July, President Trump made the phone call to Ukraine that led to impeachment. He asked the president. Okay, so what's going on here? Let's mysterious Democratic National Committee computer server that Mr. Trump said was hidden in Ukraine. We have found that odd request is a story that has grown over the years and was influenced by Moscow. You may have wondered how the president was impeached over Ukraine of all places. The answer is in the story of the mystery server, a reminder that the U.S. and Russia have been on opposite sides of a war in Ukraine since Russia's invasion in 2014. And Gavin Newsom is the one that can tell us about that using his California army to help commit genocide. That's another topic. That's something I don't want to delve into. But Moscow had nothing to do with this. And just like I explained, this server is still alive across the planet. The thing is, the algorithm to... um, (laughs) I'm not going to say that. The algorithm... uh, Okay. How am I going to say this? So the code algorithm that you need in order to find all these bits of file across the planet still exists, and that is on the original image server. Now, I've said this before. In a huddle in early spring, very early, well, before spring of 2016, there were files that were put out and everyone downloaded a file onto an SD card and mailed it off to the Department of Justice. And when you, uh, and and to be honest with you, when the downloads happen, like, can you download this? Like, you know how your friend says, yo, take a screenshot for me, will you? Or, hey, can you download this file for me? And this is a friend you know for 20 years and you're like, yeah, okay, no problem. Especially when it's a friend that's helping parse together things like um, stuff on Epstein and what he's been doing in Ethiopia with AI, which is something that we need to talk about. Or if it's a friend that has helped, you know, provide 
classified documents years ago after a trip to Panama, right? So you know these people, even though you don't know who they really are. So they say, all right, can you like take, um, can you, can all of you in the group just take like a pack of this file because it's really big and put it on those massive SD cards. And it's like, yeah, sure. I'll copy it for you just in case it goes. Yep. Got it. Got it. Everybody's got it. How many are the everybody's? Nobody really knows. It could be hundreds of people. It could just be the baker's dozen in our little room. Nobody knows. But what I do know is, is that later on, after the the murder of Seth Ridge, after the tar, actually it was after the tarmac meeting before the murder, um, that it was understood what was possibly on that SD drive. I guarded that with my life. And I was thinking, all right, um, so the next best thing is, since nobody reconvened after the murder, to know what to do is what? Well, I'm just going to hand it over to law enforcement because I don't want to get in trouble. And that could be the reason why my Mac fried too. Who knows? Maybe it was trickled back, but there was nothing on it. So that had to go into the scrap. And my friends know how I struggled in, in 2017 with my mouth. I was like, this is a biz. What's going on? Uh, so, um, and you know, they're not that prone to uh, specific viruses and worms. So that was, you know, shocking to me. But anyway, so people had an image copy of the actual server that was done on location, not only of the DNC, but the RNC too. Way before WikiLeaks, way before, because before you do anything and send it off to anyone, what do you do? You've got insurance, you've got trip keys, you got, you know, safe deposit boxes, you've got people that you trust will have your back no matter what. And you trust will make the right decision when there's no communication, right? And this is why they're in such panic. Because again, the tangible way to take them down, to expose this globalist cabal, is with tangible crimes. With crimes, you can't sweep over with a gray sponge and say, well, it was kind of murder, but we had to do it. It's like, wait a minute, I know that was murder. And when you know that the murder was done to fix your own elections, and then everything that the right has been saying, which is they've been fixing the elections for decades now, you've never voted, even though we've had change in parties, we've never had a voice. They've fixed everything. That you can't cover up that you can't change that you cannot stop and here we are again wow this crowd strike getting around always talking about it planting those seeds for the idiots that have not woken up yet for those people struggling with it and I, and I hate the fact that I call them idiots God forgive me because they're just weaker I should stop saying that because we should be praying for these people because they are really struggling with reality they are really struggling with making it through the day they are so now take a, a few more minutes listen to oh yeah and it's supposedly in the Ukraine it is because that is where you sourced it in order to copy, image, and parse it. Why in the Ukraine? Because there is no law and no U.S. eyes. And if the Ukraine who was sharing Hurricane Electric servers was seeding those at a slower rate, even the NSA wouldn't detect it. Oh, well, not all of it. 
So they wouldn't detect them collecting all the bits of pieces on hurricane electric servers that are global to compose an image of the DNC, the original DNC server. And remember, Eric Braverman had gone out there. Google had invested in CrowdStrike. Remember, $100 million. All of that was going on. Head of Clinton Foundation, Google invested in CrowdStrike, all these crazy meetings, and a server being ceded to a foreign country in order to be processed, parsed, fixed, and re-imaged to supposedly provide to the FBI, which they have said they never received. That's the thing. Ukraine security is important to our security. And the reason I believe that is that Ukraine is on the front line. Few people understand what's at stake as well as Ambassador Bill Taylor. He led the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine as the Trump administration withheld military aid while pressing for investigations of Democrats. It was illogical. It could not be explained. It was crazy. Taylor's testimony. Demoni carried on? the weight of his resume. West Point, 101st Airborne in Vietnam, 33 years as a diplomat and an expert on Ukraine. The Russians are fighting a hybrid war against Ukraine, but it's not just about Ukraine. Um, they're fighting a hybrid war against Europe and against the United States. The war that the Russians are fighting in Ukraine we have a stake in we have a stake in but it's not just the military war so we have a stake in a war that the russians are fighting in ukraine why what's the stake your pockets policy the eu supporting the crown which one is it bill taylor should be ashamed of himself but you know they're parading these people around they're pushing it boy does this get good like next half hour we're just going to be parsing this apart how do you how do you feel listening to bill taylor saying these things why are we so concerned about it we don't care what the ukraine does as long as they're happy and prosperous if there's genocide we want to know and that's it i don't know why we're giving away free money it's kind of like that nixon call you know nixon figured out he was duped in 1974 and said he was going to shut it down what happened you see that so here we are just at the top of the break, and I am going to fly right through it so you guys can listen to this because you really need to understand the gravity of the situation. Like, it is massive. Because hybrid war is more than tanks and soldiers. Hybrid war is information war. It's cyber war. Um, it's economic war. Um, it's attacks on elections. And as we know, they've attacked our elections. Wait a minute. They've attacked our elections. But remember, it was Barack Hussein Obama and Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff, that put together a bill, obviously, uh, in consultancy with, um, you know, Igor Pasternak, who makes blimps and obviously M16s that failed. But, you know, they still got our money. Um that put a bill together that we give them 50 million dollars so we can go in there and marshal their elections. But Russia was meddling with our elections. Okay, sure. The Russian attack on the 2016 election included hacking the computers of the Democratic National Committee. Actually, Podesta was stupid 
and Hillary Clinton's emails were just released to make it look plausible. But what they keep forgetting to say is that the RNC server was also imaged. U.S. intelligence agencies found the Russian government aspired to help President-elect Trump's election chances when possible by discrediting Secretary Clinton. What are these intelligence agencies again? Oh, yeah, the CIA. That's it. FBI doesn't really count. NSA just collects information. And that's a bogus statement because there was no communication between all the agencies because there's a committee that gets formed. And if you see in the reports, no footnote from them, that means it's bogus. 17 intelligence communities, not ours. Obviously, probably not even American. Former Deputy National Intelligence Officer and CIA Russia analyst Andrea Kendall Taylor worked on that report. The rep- Another Taylor, and she's typing with one finger. The report itself was based on a large body of evidence um, that demonstrated not only what Russia was doing, but also its intent. Um, and it's based on a number of different uh, sources, collected human intelligence, technical intelligence. You seem to be saying that the evidence is convincing, that this isn't a close call. That's absolutely right. If you read the intelligence report, it's the consensus view of three intelligence agencies. Oh, wait a minute. But they said 17. Is it CIA, NSA and the FBI? But the CIA is the only one that I can actually do reports. The NSA never gives reports and the FBI is law enforcement. But remember, I've told you about this black hole FBI thing. And if you have subscribed to Subscribestar, you'll know more about that black hole in the FBI. I. I'd like to highlight from the same conclusion was reached by the Republican led Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. The committee's report on Russian interference was unanimously approved by all of its Democratic and Republican members. Russia's use of social media. Democrat Mark Warner is vice chairman. The Russian project was a top down, government run, covert operation that hacked into the DNC and individuals' personal emails and weaponized that information to release it at the most important times. Okay, before I continue this, I just wanted to say the emails were nothing. It was child's play. You know what was important? The algorithms, the programs that they deploy to fix elections globally. You know what else is important? Emails between U.S. state officials, both elected, non-elected, with other global leaders and memorandums of understandings in place with other governments. You know what else is on there and what is on there and what has been seen is the fact that we have a private global intelligence community, private companies in, you know, the hands of the few elites. You know what else is on there? Letters and emails, emails that you haven't seen that aren't about yoga and aren't just Hillary Clinton's. Wait till SCOTUSgate. Wait till SCOTUSgate because that's where it's going to happen. But you know what? They're talking about emails. That's nothing. You want to see the documents that you have signed with other governments. You want to see trade agreements. You want to see vaccine patents and funding. You want to see funding for certain operations. You want to see DARPA discussions with other governments. You want to see slave trade, human trade, child trade, drug trade. It's all there. That's the thing. 
But the idea that the Trump campaign was helped by Russia, even unwittingly, was a unanimous judgment Mr. Trump would not accept. And by the way, folks, just in case you're like curious, no, Russia did not help me. Okay, <laughs> Russia. I call it the Russian hoax. Mr. Trump began a campaign to discredit the intelligence community's conclusions. He tweeted, So how and why are they so sure about hacking if they never even requested an examination of the computer servers? In Mr. Trump's telling, the FBI failed to look for evidence on the Democrats' computer network. The story of the mystery server was born. You dealt directly with the FBI? I did, yeah, sure. Robert Johnston was an investigator of the DNC hack for CrowdStrike, a leading cybersecurity company hired by the Democrats. He told us the FBI didn't physically examine the DNC servers because CrowdStrike gave the Bureau copies of the data from the servers. Wait a minute. So the FBI didn't physically check it because they gave them data from the servers. Listen to that. If there is a, a server or a computer system of any kind that's involved in the incident, you can take an exact bit-for-bit -bit digital copy of what's on that system. Now, that digital copy is just as good as having the real thing. As far as you know, the FBI got... And here's the thing. Let's do it this way. So you have a digital copy of the DNC server... And then you take it and you make another digital copy, but bit for bit, you remove the stuff you want, right? And bit for bit, you add the code that makes it look like someone got in there, right? Bit for bit. What it needed and what it wanted. Exactly. And, and evidence of that is you don't hear the FBI complaining. Of course, you're not going to hear the FBI complaining. Do you know why? Because of a guy named Sean Henry. He's actually the president of CrowdStrike Services and chief service officer, uh, CSO. That always changes, right? Henry's legendary commitment to one team, one fight. Yep, they're all united and they stick together. Do you know why he's very important? Well, I'm going to take you back in time to September 15th, 2010. Sean Henry, named executive assistant director of the Criminal Cyber Response and Services Branch. Guess who nominated him? That's right. Director Robert Mueller III has named Sean Henry as the executive assistant director of Criminal Cyber Response and Services Branch. Mr. Henry will succeed Assistant Deputy Director Harrington. Mr. Henry most recently served as assistant director in charge of the FBI's Washington Field Office. You mean the swamp. I'm confident that under Sean's leadership, we'll continue to sharpen its strategic focus and coordinated efforts with state, local, and international partners to address new, emerging international and domestic and cyber threats to our national security. And since February 2010, Mr. Henry has served assistant director in charge of the Washington field office. So where he began his career with the FBI in 1989, investigating a variety of matters, focusing primarily on public corruption and serving as a member of the SWAT team. Can you guys say fixer? And you remember that clip I played about online jihad? That was none other than Sean Henry. And Henry is now the guy in charge at CrowdStrike.
And he oversaw at his time at the FBI of computer crime investigations spanning the globe. And he also received, listen to this, presidential rank award for meritorious executive for his leadership in enhancing the FBI's cyber capabilities. (laughs) So he was the EAD for FBI's criminal cyber response services branch. And now he is the president of the U.S.-based CrowdStrike. Okay? This is key. Because, again, why would CrowdStrike, who had no federal contract with the FBI for cyber forensics, why would Hillary Clinton, Barack Hussein Obama, the DNC, and for a matter of fact, it was actually their lawyer, Bauer, who got in touch with him to do this for them? Backdoor work. Why? Oh, Because he's one of the crew, guys. He's one of them. Come on. You see it? See, nobody talks about this guy. He's never on TV anymore. Yet he is in charge of the actual president of CrowdStrike Services in the United States of America. Okay? And he's the CSO. So nobody talks about Sean Henry. He's not even mentioned anywhere. Why? I mean, we putting the Ukrainian in the front, what? Because you think we're going to assume that anybody talking about Dimitri is suddenly what? Suddenly what? Racist? We're just going to stick Kurtz in the front? Another hack? Come on. This is where it comes down to, you guys. These people have fixed it from the beginning. All you need to look is who runs the show and who drops the moolah for them. That's how it is. You know... Sean Henry, okay, he is one of the biggest players when it comes to this. Because he is the connect between Mueller, between the DNC, between Barack Hussein Obama, and why the FBI just decided, well, you know, since our friend is now, you know, uh, you know, at CrowdStrike, we'll just use him. No, that's not the way it works. Because their forensic don't count for anything unless it's done by the book. And so here we have them telling you again, another dude, not Sean, telling you, well, we just gave him the data that comes from the server. What do you mean? Bit for bit, bit for bit that you select. Because I can image you a server right now and I can click and say, nope, 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 nope. And then render that into one smooth image, you know, ISO done. So you can mount that and you're good. He's right. A former senior government official familiar with the investigation told us that the FBI would have preferred to work alongside CrowdStrike's investigators, but the Democratic National Committee decided to give the Bureau digital copies of its servers instead. The official told us this was acceptable, in fact, even typical in FBI investigations. The FBI used the data to help indict 12 Russian intelligence agents for hacking the DNC. Yeah, so Mueller indicted the Mueller from his prize star that gave him that information, right? Victor, Boris. And you know what? He took that indictment and put it in a division that's there to die because they can never enforce it. See, that's a key point, too. So what's the point of 
Oh, look, indictment. We found Russians. Not a baker's dozen, is it? Or is it just under a dozen? Kind of funny how the group is a baker's dozen and they get a baker's dozen. But for some reason, people are reporting a dozen. And here's the thing. All made up stuff. Non-existent. Do these people even exist? Mm-mm. No. And you know what? With technology today, you can create people, delete people, manufacture people in a heartbeat. I mean, in the future, it gets messy. But in the future that was to come, I can tell you that private corporations ran everything. And unless you were part of their bloodline, part of their group, you were nothing but a worker and you expired when you expired, period. Now here we have manufactured people to serve the purpose of hurting you into that. Hmm. CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike gave information that a prosecutor took and ran with without double checking. Like, okay, in what reality does that sound merely anywhere okay? Doesn't sound okay, does it? And see. But Mr. Trump's tweets persisted. Why did the DNC refuse to turn over its server to the FBI? And where are hidden and smashed DNC servers? There were more than 140 servers in the Democrats' network, but Mr. Trump created an image of a single box of incriminating information. Because there is a single box of incriminating information. A box that was taken offshore, that was imaged offshore to manufacture, replicate, cause backdoor fake breaches with Chinese code where they tacked on Russian code to make it Russian frame something called cozy bear put it in a nice little box and then once they exported that rendered it they made it into one whole server that looked really real but you know it was a uh, cyber within the fbi itself who actually said well you know they kind of bottlenecked it didn't look like russian code it looked like chinese where is that guy why did c-spam take down that video and gosh darn it really wish i had downloaded it we already know this CBS, NBC, CNN, they're all doing damage control. This is entertainment. This isn't even real. This is super wag the dog. You hear his tone. Well, why do they have to? I mean, they got it from them. Yeah. Bottom line is, did they have a federal contract? No. Were they authorized by the federal government to be the preferred in cyber forensic? No. And why wouldn't a prosecutor check it himself just in case there was some bias because it's a private company no so we're the ones that are nuts but they're all okay you see it where is the server i want to know where is the server and what is the server saying with that being said all i can do is ask the question my people came to me dan coates came to me and some others they said they think it's russia uh i have uh, president putin uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be, but I really do want to see the server. That statement, letting Russia off the hook, forced President Trump to issue a retraction the next day. No, they forced him to issue a retraction. Why would Russia do it? Russia needed Hillary. I mean, Hillary sold them uranium. Russia had protection. Russia was safe from Turkey, which is not safe anymore because war is brewing. Russia 
was fine with the establishment because they had an agreement. Russia was the second, remember, to take the uranium off Iran in processing. So they had steady flow of income, even though they were like the child of the lesser god in the global cabal. So why would Russia want not Hillary to get in, but have a loose cannon like President Trump? It makes absolutely no sense. But the way they pose it to you is such. And you know, at the end of the day, all this is going to come to surface. See, it makes me irk when I listen to commentary like this, when I see videos like this, because it's like, oh my gosh, how dare they? But you know what we need to do? Archive everything, man. Take screenshots, download videos. Damn, do I regret not downloading that video. There isn't a day that goes by that I'm not resting my head on the pillow and I'm searching on my phone to find that darn video where the guy testified and say they bottlenecked it. It was not Russian code. It was Chinese. It was made to look like Russian. He said it himself, 2016, August, either in the House or Senate, and I saw it. I didn't take it. It sucks. It totally sucks. But the bottom line is let them listen to their narrative. Because when Seth Rich comes out, this is all going to make sense. Because they conspired to cover up a murder. They made it seem like a conspiracy theory. They made it seem like it didn't exist. I mean, crossfire hurricane. Whoa. Not even creative to say we're trying to scrub hurricane electric type servers or hurricane electric period. I mean, do your homework. Look up hurricane electric servers. Look how your .gov is based on it. Look at Germany's on it and Merkel's party's on it. Buckingham Palace, Canada, Australia, <laughs> Uganda, hurricane electric. That's like their Napster for information. And it all was centered in Luxembourg. So weird. And, you know, remember how I've been talking about Global Services Group, right? Globalgroup.com. I know a lot of you that are listeners searched the website, saw it. All these former intelligence guys, former GCHQ, former CIA, former NSA, former DNI, all there. And suddenly another reporter like Millie Weaver... Millennial Millie puts out a report about them, shows screenshots of their face, and guess what happened? The site is taken down, obviously revamped. I mean, we can't have that out in the open because, you know, we can't have people digging into it. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't digging into it. Damazian Group, right? The funding group that was like, you know, by Diablo now changed it. And they show trees and green air and we're still a family investment. I wonder where all that money's coming from. I'm not going to point fingers at the Ukraine, but if I must, I can show some. So here is where it is all coming together. Like I said, if we want to take them down, we can't go by, oh, he said, she said, or he's corrupt, he's corrupt. He opened it and all of those are crimes. Don't get me wrong. What they did to this president, what they have done to us, you know, it's one thing saying, well, you know, they've been stealing your election with algorithms and working with foreign companies and CIDL and the European Union and, 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 and they've been manufacturing, um, you know, things that can target you molecularly. Yes. And 5G, great frequencies to activate a lot of things, you know, not because you don't resonate on frequencies, but that sounds all far-fetched. You can't do that. But what's not far-fetched is murder. 
to cover up the guy that tried to expose. And he wasn't going for taking your memorandums of understanding. He wasn't going with your pay slips, parties, emails, and all these other documents. Algorithms. That's the key. The algorithm that they deploy in order to fractional collect into these trap doors and steal your votes. I mean, man, have you ever heard of so many people voting at once? I mean, what do we have? A hundred and fifty million people vote when the average is 70 million. Kind of looks weird. Imagine how many people came out for Trump. That was a landslide in 2016. I don't care what anybody says. She did not win the popular vote. That was stolen with their software that unfortunately this young guy who was trying to just download the whole thing because he didn't know what to download for to show that they were fixing their own elections, that they were stealing money, using union money. Oh man, you got to see emails between Amalgamated Bank and the Clintons. Now that's going to be a really fun show. But this poor guy, tries to get proof that they're fixing the elections, decides, I don't know how to do it, takes the whole thing, speaks with someone who tells him how to do it. And I don't know who that someone is uh, because all I know is that it might have been one of the group guys uh, or gals because I'm a gal. They don't know. I'm a guy. And I'm sure some of them listen (laughs) to my show. But here's the thing, that, that he went and did that Because he believed in democracy. He believed in everything that he was doing. He didn't think it was this corrupt. And when he realized it, he said it was about time to show the people. So he downloaded this whole thing, not knowing that he was carrying the mother load. And that's what got him killed. And that's what's going to liberate us because you can't create a gray area on murder. You just can't. Listen to how 60 Minutes further covers this up, ridicules the president, calls it a conspiracy theory. Again, so it's like every, you know, four to six weeks, they have another segment either on 60 Minutes or on the news where they talk about how trivial it is, yet they don't talk about the facts. No federal contract allowing them to conduct forensic activities. No hiring by federal authorities. No actual server. Like what prosecutor is going to sit there and go to court and say, yeah, so I got a report from this private company. I'm totally indicting these people and I'm pressing charges. And the judge is going to be like, all right, well, did you see it or are you just taking their word for it? Yeah, I'm just taking their word for it. All right, show me the the vendor, you know, application and approval that they are an authorized entity by the federal government. Yeah, I don't have that. Well, then you can't have this. It's like the DNA test kit information that I'm saying. You take your ex to court and you're like, yep, you know, he's my baby daddy done and the judge is like where's the dna test here it is where'd you get this done yeah right down the road from me like over there it's called do my dna or find my baby daddy and he's like all right show me the contract that says that our city county state or federal government uh you know uh consider them to be valid yeah i don't have it it's my friend's friend of a friend did me a favor yeah that doesn't work you're not going to use that it has to be federally approved, court approved, county approved, something approved. So it doesn't work like that. That is exactly what they did. They used find my baby daddy DNA and they indicted made up people, which one day you hear is 12. The other day you hear is 13. Pretty weird, right? The number and stuff. Through all of this, Vladimir Putin wasn't just standing idly by. He was working to shift blame away from Russia. What we can see is that Russia did what Russia does, and that is piling on. They amplify those narratives in ways that then uh, advance Russia's own interests. 
They look for conspiracy theories that are already out there. They're picking up on elements or narratives that already exist in a society and amplifying those narratives that advance Russian interests. The interest of Putin was to drive a wedge between his enemy, Ukraine, and Ukraine's most important ally, the United States. A successful, prosperous, uh, Western-oriented Ukraine provides a direct threat to Putin's hold on power. He can't have a successful Ukraine on his southern border because then it demonstrates to Russians uh, what is possible. Two weeks after Mr. Trump's inauguration, Putin said in this news conference, it was not Russia that helped Donald Trump, but Ukraine that helped Hillary Clinton. Russian media and U.S. conspiracy websites began to spin suspicion of Ukraine. Ultimately, those rumors appealed to Mr. Trump's private lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who was working to discredit the investigations of Russian meddling in 2016. And there were concerns um, that there was another game being played, another channel um, that Mr. Giuliani was involved in. Oh, my gosh. Like, Bill Taylor should be sued. Like, period. Sued. Now, I'm going to skip over to CrowdStrike and what they have to say, because this, for me, is horrible. We already know that CrowdStrike fixed it. We already know that they're corrupt. I mean, they're covering up Mueller's prized dude on cyber, who's the president of the darn company in the U.S. Server, they say, is held by a company whose primary ownership individual is from Ukraine. I'd like to see the server. Are there any links to your knowledge between CrowdStrike and anyone in Ukraine? Not to my knowledge. Was this something that the embassy... Are you kidding? CrowdStrike was created in the Ukraine by a Ukrainian that later came to the United States. Are we insane? Like, this is a fact. Like, well, where is Bill... Guys, Bill Taylor needs to be put on a 72-hour hold. That's just freaking insane, isn't it? The guy was born in the Ukraine. He built the company through USSR-type programs, built it up, has his headquarters in Ukraine, and then comes here, kind of like your blimp maker. Started with USSR stuff, then came over here. I mean, this is insane. And why is, you know, Sean... (laughs) Why is Sean Mueller's star child, Sean Henry, named the president of U.S.? CrowdStrike, come on! Like, this is them hiding in plain sight. Listen to them. He was concerned about. No. During the investigation you were leading, did CrowdStrike ever send any of the DNC's computer hardware to Ukraine? No. That, that, is, that is insane, and that is not... Yeah, they didn't. They seeded the whole server on their own hardware in the Ukraine, and that's how it happened. Within the, the realm of reality. Last July, reality suffered a final blow. The story Mr. Trump first adopted as a server the FBI was blocked from seeing and then became the server investigated by a Ukrainian company finally morphed into the server hidden in Ukraine. And it is hidden in the Ukraine. And unfortunately, my time is up for today. Don't forget to prescribe, subscribe. Oh, my gosh. To subscribe, Star. And I will see you all tomorrow. Same time, same place, only on Red State Talk Radio. And we will have an extended version of CrowdStrike Ukraine and Seth Rich uh, coming to you through Subscribe Star. God bless from everyone here at Red State. 